God reveals his disappointment with Judah. He says, it's over. I cannot trust her. She has no fruit in her. Very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. I'm Janice. And today we begin our study, or we continue our study, in chapter five of the book of Isaiah, where it is something else. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. Right now, Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? Today, I am focusing in on Isaiah chapter five, the song of the vineyard, and then the actual ancient technology of vineyards and winemaking. Ryan? Well, in Isaiah chapters 4 and 11, the coming Messiah is referred to as a branch. And so today, I want to look into the significance of that title. All right, very good. Look forward to both of those pieces coming up very soon. Janice? My segment today is called Go Green. <laughs> okay, Go Green. Well, there you go. Let's open up the Bible and listen to what God says to us. Isaiah 5, verses 1 through 7. Now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a winepress in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes. And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns." I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Isaiah chapter 4 and 5. This is really fascinating. I, I love this book. Um, and as we begin to study it today, we're going to take Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. Seven verses here that explain what God is saying to us. When a vine dresser plants an orchard and diligently cares for it, he expects that the grapes would be a good harvest. What if it's not? What happens to the vines? to cause the grapes to become bad. Now, God uses this analogy to describe the work of Judah. God has a personal relationship with his people, and he takes care of his people like a vine dresser. He waters them when they are weak and gives them 
light to grow so that they should be strong and well. But they came to him sour and spoiled. Sin is an evil thing. It infects all of us at birth. The only way to truly deal with it is to invite Jesus Christ into your heart and give him your life. When we do that, things change. Now, nothing changes outside of our free will. Carefully consider what Isaiah is saying. We all need to deal with the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead to life and that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're going to be studying that today as we look at this prophet from the Old Testament. Isaiah is an amazing man. Take your Bible guide and turn to it today. And if you don't have a Bible guide, write to us or call us. We'll send you one. Another way you can do this is go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to a donate page. And thank you for your donations. We don't tell you how much to donate because we believe that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And so what you do is after that, you go to the PDF page. It's on the page that you, when you went to the donate button, it'll take you to a page. And that PDF file is just like we presented. So you're seconds away from joining us and uh, you can be a part of this. But today we're going to pray about failed grapes. What in the world are we talking about? Isaiah 5. Father, I pray today that you would help us. Help us to understand what you're saying. Help us to understand our hearts. Help us to change the way we are to, so that we can change the world. Help us to be a witness today, Lord Christians. I'm talking to those who believe in your name and to those who don't believe in your name. I pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts to hear you and see you and invite them, invite you into their lives today. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, as we look at chapter five, this becomes important. He says, now let me sing to my well-beloved song, a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with choicest vines. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Interesting. You see, God reveals his disappointment in the lack of fruit from Judah. We must bear fruit for God to use in our life. Now, let me explain something. In the book of Galatians, in the New Testament, in the time we live now, there is something called, beginning with verse 22, chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, which comes from inside of us. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, and faith meekness and temperance. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. Everybody talks about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, but this is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And beloved, we need to bear that fruit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to come into our life and change us. That is the only thing that's going to shift this world, that's going to change this world in the way that the Lord has us here right now to be a witness in the world. Now, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, stay there because I'll talk to you in a minute. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 3. 
And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. Judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Well, why then, when I expected to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste, and it shall not be pruned or dug. But there shall come up briars and thorns, and I will also command the clouds that they rain, or that that rain, on rain, no rain on it. Isn't that something? God changes the environment of his people. His nation will fall. The Lord Jesus Christ will judge. Come to Jesus Christ now. Now, I want to talk to the folks who don't know God. Come to Jesus Christ now. I didn't say go to a church. I didn't say. I'm telling you, this is the time to receive the Lord. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I need you. I believe you were killed, allowed yourself to die, and buried and rose again on the third day. I believe your Lord come into my life right now. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, Write to us or whatever. Get a hold of somebody because God is beginning to help you see the truth. Isaiah 5 to 7 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. For he looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. Now, this is fascinating. This is the third point. God calls on his people to have faith in him. Not in their business, not in their work, not in... God calls his people to have faith in him. We must work as God desires and we must follow him. Beloved, as a Christian, as a person who loves the Lord, we need to express our love by putting our faith in him. Now, there's no other way around it. I'm just telling you, whether you are, however you're watching, it doesn't matter. Internet, television, whatever. We're grateful for our TV stations, but we need to hear that God loves us. And when we respond to him, we need to begin to live as God has assigned us. He's placed us here for a reason. And that reason is to be a witness to the world. Beloved, how we do that is allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of our lives. So we're going to pray. And as we pray, I want you to think carefully about this. We pray this way. We say, Lord, help me to always keep you in the center of my heart, in the center of my thinking. I need to express myself as you have directed. Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right. On your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. 
And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. In carrying on with our study, my focus is on both Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, and Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, where the prophet refers to the coming Messiah as a branch. And as a matter of interest, Jeremiah and Zechariah also use this title to describe the Messiah. And to modern Western readers like myself, this might sound kind of strange. And actually, we might not even really get it. And that's because our style of learning is very different from the Middle Eastern culture. And remember, though the Bible is God-breathed, God allowed the culture and personalities of the human authors to come through. And so the Bible teaches its readers primarily through the Middle Eastern method of learning. So in order for us Westerners to really grasp the meaning of, of these branch passages, we need to read them with Eastern eyes. So let's do that. On at least five different occasions, three different Old Testament prophets refer to the coming Redeemer as a branch. While this imagery holds much meaning for Jews and Middle Easterners, for modern Western readers, its full impact and significance is sometimes lost in translation. That's largely because Westerners, as cultural descendants of the Greeks, are used to the conceptual and analytical learning style developed by the philosophers whereas Easterners prefer to use real-world imagery to communicate truth. Also, while we in the West typically put more importance on individual identity, Eastern culture places more significance upon the family identity. In fact, in the Eastern mindset, what was enduring was not so much the individual, but the family, and people thoroughly invested themselves in the larger identity of their family. This family-centric view can be eloquently illustrated through the real-world imagery of a tree and its branches. The tree is like the family, and the branches on that tree are like the individuals within that family. Each branch, like a family member, will leaf out and bear fruit, but at some point it will wither and die. The tree, however, lives on. The family is what's important and long-lasting. If God blesses you, many shoots will come from you that will grow into enormous limbs that will bear fruit and mature and grow. This is precisely the image the prophets have in mind when they portray this coming messianic figure as a branch. For example, Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 declares and decrees that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The imagery here is that the family is a tree, and the Messiah would be a branch on that tree a descendant of David's line. Additionally, David's father was Jesse, so the Messiah could also be called a shoot from Jesse's line. Part of the imagery of the shoot is that when trees are cut back, they send out long, straight shoots from the base. These are used to make king's scepters and tribal leaders' staffs. Although this royal messianic branch was cut off and died, death could not hold him, because he wasn't merely human. Indeed, this Messiah, the one and only Jesus Christ, was and is the Creator God Himself. And as such, He isn't just the branch, but as the source of life, He's also the root and the vine. In fact, His death and resurrection allowed us to become the branches. If we choose to live in Him, we become a part of His family tree. We become the very sons and daughters of God. And that tree, along with all of its fruit, twigs, and branches, will never wither and die. 
Well, hopefully you were able to see now why the Old Testament prophets often refer to the promised Redeemer as a branch. It's really powerful imagery, which I tried to connect at the end there. But as I say here a lot on the program, do your own study. Don't just blindly accept my words, but be like those Bereans in Acts 17. It's true, I do try my very best with these segments, but they could never be God-breathed like the scriptures. These are just my personal study notes, which I'm sharing with you to consider. So just keep that in mind. And your personal study notes are put online. That's great. You have one here. Price check. Did David pay 50 shekels of Mm. silver or 600 shekels of gold for Ornan's threshing floor? This is really good stuff. Common question. Yeah. Yeah, And it's, it's, you know, you've you've done the piece, and the piece is great, but you've also got the script there, so it's all laid out perfectly. Yeah, with all the footnotes and the references and all that, yeah. People can study it and look at it and do their own study. I like that idea, so that's very good, Ryan. Thank you. Corey? All right, Isaiah chapter 5. This is such an interesting chapter because what the prophet Isaiah does is he uses the planting and the establishing of a vineyard as a metaphor for how God planted and established Israel and Judah. Uh, and and he he really shows how you know the the vineyard should have worked out and yet it didn't. So now he's he's really setting up the Judeans here the to you know judge themselves for their own actions. Uh, so I want to take a look at the actual uh, establishing of a vineyard and 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 how wine was made in the ancient world. It would have been extremely common knowledge, you know, back when Isaiah was reading Isaiah chapter 5, less so for us today. So let's just jump right in and take a look at vineyards and winemaking. The importance of vineyards and their produce to ancient Israel is obvious. In the Bible, wine was widely used in the religious offerings of the law. Vineyards were a common analogy used by the prophets of God, and a grapevine and cluster were brought back to the Israelites as evidence of the fruitfulness of the land before the conquest. Overall, grape production was a large part of the agriculture and society of ancient Israel. Generally, grapevines were cultivated on their own, apart from other fruits and vegetables. There were, however, private orchards and royal gardens that grew grapevines with other fruit trees. These pleasure gardens were generally located close to a home or within a royal city for immediate access to fresh fruit and a beautiful space to relax. The bulk of grapes and their products were cultivated alone in vineyards. Depending on terrain, vineyards could be right next to cities or quite far away from settlements. They could be irrigated or depend solely on rainfall. They could be walled or left unprotected. The prophet Isaiah famously described the founding of a vineyard. His process includes preparing the ground, likely by uprooting plants, bushes, and trees, and clearing stones, then planting the chosen vines, building a wall or fence, probably with the stones removed from the vineyard, watchtowers were added for extra security, and a wine press was cut out of bedrock to process grapes into wine. Due to growing conditions, separately owned vineyards with their own walls could exist close together, which would create narrow pathways for travelers, just like what's described in the Balaam incident and possibly even the lion attack against Samson. Inside the vineyards, grapevines could be allowed to grow on the ground, or to make for easier harvesting and upkeep, the vines would be trained up poles and trellises. 
When harvest time came, it was cause for great celebration, especially the first usable harvest, which wouldn't have occurred until the fifth year of production for law-following Israelites. The crop of the first three years was to be left, and the fourth year's crop was given to God. Harvest time meant fresh grapes, wine, raisins, vinegar, and a type of grape syrup. It meant singing songs of joy, giving offerings of thanks, and pruning the empty vines for next year's growing season. Vineyards, grapes, and wine were seen as integral to the blessings of God on Israel. If Israel were to reject the covenant they had with God, the loss of their vineyards and their inability to harvest them would be one of the consequences. On the flip side, vineyards were a vital blessing of God to be joyfully celebrated by his covenant people. This is reflected clearly in the rules for warfare. If a man had planted a vineyard and had not yet harvested from it, remember that it could not be harvested until the fifth year, then he was exempt from going to war. The fruit of the vineyard was a blessing from God to be enjoyed. The Bible does this a lot, of course, and, and you know, if you've been studying with us this year, we're already more than halfway through. So you've seen this happen before where uh, the, the biblical author uses everyday things and, and, and cultural elements in order to express truth. It's a very effective way of communicating. Teachers and communicators do it today. All of us do it in, in our day-to-day -day communication when we're trying to explain new ideas or perhaps, uh, you know, things that we're going through in our lives. We'll use external circumstances as, uh, you know, as metaphors and similes for what we're going through to help explain ourselves. And the Bible is no different here. So it's always really interesting when we run into one of these uh, metaphors to jump into what that, that actual thing was like in the ancient world. Very interesting, Corey. Thank you so much for mm -hmm. that. We really appreciate it. And uh, again, BibleDiscoveryTV.com, where you can find all this material. Very important. Okay, Janice. Uh, well, I hope you didn't hear my Bible pages rustling as Corey was speaking. You know, th these chapters in Isaiah are just so rich and so full. And, you know, when somebody says, I just, I've read the Bible, so that's all I need to do, I guess, is just read the Bible once. Eh, oh, my goodness. Stick with it. Continue on and read through because the more that you read it, the more that things will connect in your heart and your mind and, and you'll read a verse in the Old Testament and all of a sudden, you know, your mind will be sparked, your spirit will be sparked to look for it in the New Testament. And, and the things, the way that God's spirit connects you to the different passages is so exciting and so thrilling. And, and um, we're so thankful that you've joined with us here today to learn with us uh, going through the, the word. I, I titled this segment, Go Green. And you know, we hear a lot about going green in, in our culture today, don't we? Everything is go green and we need to uh, shift from this to go to that, to go green. And I'm not demeaning that in any way, but I'm just using a play on words today because what I mean is to be healthy in the spirit of God. God is talking talking about a vineyard that he laid out, that he planted. And, you know, we, we really appreciate Corey's segment on that and knowing all of the involvement and all of the things that go into the planting of a vineyard. And anybody who does any gardening, any raising of plants knows that it takes work, it takes discipline, it takes effort um, to grow a good garden. And so I look at this and, I, and, and I, I read through these scriptures, you see the woes 
that God lists out here uh, to the condition of his people. And yet down in verse 25, this jumped out to me, for all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. God stretches out his hand and says, come back to me, return to me, return to me, follow me, get your, get my word into your heart and apply it to your life. Spend time with me. I will teach you. I will help you. That's what God extends to each one of us today. And so how are we? Are we growing green on the vine? Are we growing good fruit in the vine of God? Jesus said, and if you take the time to read John chapter 15, starting at verse 1, Jesus talks about being the true vine. I'm just going to pull out a verse here. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And if you're new to the faith, if you're new to all of this, you might say, well, fruit, what do you mean growing fruit? I I don't understand that. Later on in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 22, it talks about the fruits of the Spirit that will grow in you through your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is what the fruit of the Spirit is. Do you have these growing in your heart? Are these displayed in your life as you live for the Lord? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. And this is what Jesus says will bear much fruit. We will bear that fruit. We will grow that fruit if we keep our lives attached with him because we're in the vine. You can't just cut off a plant and separate it from everything and it can live. It just won't happen. It has to be attached. It has to have that nourishment from somewhere. In fact, it does. And fruit is something that grows from your soul. When God affects your soul and your spirit, then the fruit grows. It's not like a gift. Gifts are great, but the fruit of the Spirit is most important because that's the growth of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Today, as we pray, I want to remind you that we talked about this and something we need to do. Lord, help me to always keep you in the center of my heart and the center of my thinking. In Jesus' name, amen. We need to do that. One of the ways we do that is by committing ourselves to the Bible, reading the Bible every day and praying every day. Two critical factors. Read your Bible and pray. There's a song about that. I won't sing it, but you know what I mean. In Jesus' name. 